Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, July 29th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The coronavirus crisis continuing. The United States seeing its biggest one-day increase in deaths since May as dozens of states face growing risks. President Trump falsely claiming that many parts of the country are coronavirus-free, while once again endorsing the use of a debunked anti-malaria drug to combat COVID-19. And a day of reckoning on Capitol Hill spurred by the death of 20-year-old Army soldier Vanessa Guillen, lawmakers looking into allegations of sexual abuse and harassment inside the military. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The deadliest day so far this summer as the U.S. reaches the highest number of deaths since May. The director of the CDC admitting mistakes have been made with the federal response. This as the race for a vaccine continues at a rapid pace. Lorraine Gaceres has the latest. The U.S. on Tuesday recording more than 1,200 deaths due to coronavirus, the biggest one-day increase since May. California, Florida, Arkansas, Montana, and Oregon also reporting a one-day record spike in deaths. Meanwhile, in Texas, a person dies of COVID-19 every six and a half minutes, according to an analysis of data by USA Today. 80% of the country is seeing increases in hospitalizations. A federal report from the White House coronavirus task force found 21 states, three more states than the week before, now have outbreaks serious enough to land them in a so-called red zone, where officials are urging to have more restrictions in place. Many states heeding to the warnings. In Indiana, beaches are closed starting today for two weeks. Officials there reporting double-digit increases in new COVID-19 cases each day. North Carolina announcing it's canceling the state fair set to take place in October, a major economic driver for the state. In total, 13 states and Puerto Rico are reversing their reopenings, and another 13 states pausing or delaying theirs. As pharma giants race to get their first vaccine approved, Pfizer announcing they're combining phase two and three vaccine trials. And Moderna, which already started phase three trials, revealing promising results from experimenting on animals, giving monkeys the vaccine and then infecting them with the virus. Meanwhile, Representative Louis Gohmert tested positive for coronavirus in advance of his planned trip with President Trump to Texas today. Gohmert was expected to travel aboard Air Force One with the president for campaign fundraising and also for an energy event at a Midland oil rig. He was known not to wear a mask around Capitol Hill. Meanwhile, research continues on eradication efforts. Drug maker Moderna has revealed promising results from its experimental coronavirus vaccine testing on animals. Researchers believe the vaccine could protect against severe disease and reduce the risk of passing the virus along to others. A team at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases gave monkeys the vaccine and then infected them with the virus. Moderna has already moved into phase three testing, which includes experiments in humans. The tragic death of Fort Hood soldier Vanessa Guillen has brought sexual violence in the military to the forefront. On Capitol Hill today, House lawmakers holding the first hearing on her case and the lack of reporting of sexual harassment in the armed forces. Edwin Piti has been following the developments and has the very latest on this. Edwin, what can you tell us? 
Andrea, this hearing has been called as an epidemic of fear because the big amount of soldiers and veterans they have taken to social media their painful stories regarding sexual harassment and sexual assault within the military. Two members of the Department of Defense coming to Capitol Hill to answer questions. One of them, Dr. Neil Galbraith and Colonel Patrick Wimpy. But things got a little bit heated when Dr. Galbraith estimated that the rate of sexual assault have been decreasing inside the military. Congresswoman um, Jackie Spear challenging his remarks. Let's listen. Estimated prevalence rates of sexual assault in the Department of Defense have decreased by over one-third in the past 14 years. So I pulled the figures. In uh, fiscal year 2002, for service women, the prevalence rate was 24%. In 2006, the year you quoted, it was 34%. So if you look at the data, it hasn't gotten better. Members of Congress also talking about the trust issues that many soldiers are having with their chain of command when it comes to coming forward to present allegations of sexual harassment. Even though the numbers are showing that more people are feeling comfortable with their chain of command, the numbers are still pretty high, and one of the members of Congress that was there at the hearing was saying that they need to do a lot more. And as a proof of that, let's listen to what a victim of military sexual trauma said today. I just wanted to fit in. Here I was with a silver disc on my cap, a clear sign that I was a cadet and even lower than a private. laughing off comments made about my physique with junior enlisted soldiers, all because I didn't want to make a scene. I imagine this is how Vanessa Guillen felt when she was sexually harassed by someone who outranked her. Another highlight, Andrea, of the hearing was when uh, Congresswoman Silvia Garcia questioned Coronel Wimpy regarding the time that they took for the investigation. However, Coronel Wimpy only said that they didn't do an investigation right now, that they were talking about an inspection in Fort Hood. But she went back to the investigation telling him that they took way too long. One of the things that bothered her the most was the fact that two months after the disappearance of Vanessa Guillen, the main suspect was still living on base without any type of restrictions. Andrea? Edwin, the Guillen family is expected to meet with President Trump tomorrow. What's expected to come out of that meeting? Yes, that meeting is scheduled to happen tomorrow at noon. And the main thing that they want to get from President Trump is his support. They want the whole system within the military of uh, coming forward with this type of allegations to change completely. They want a third party organization to take a look at these claims because at the end of the day, a lot of soldiers still do not trust their chain of command inside the military. Reporting live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. Thanks so much, Edwin, reporting from Washington, D.C. And now joining me is retired Colonel Don Christensen. He served as chief prosecutor of the U.S. Armed Forces between the years 2010 and 2014. He's now president of the organization Defend Our Defenders, aiming to end sexual misconduct in the military. Colonel Christensen, welcome to you news. So let's get right to it. Hundreds of service members came forward sharing their own experiences of sexual harassment and abuse after Guillen's case was made public. And today we learned the results of an independent review of misconduct at Fort Hood. What was the most surprising thing to come out of this? Well, the most surprising thing to me was that the military is still denying that they have a problem. Uh, they tried to put out data that said 87% of women would come forward <clears throat> if they've been sexually harassed. 
Uh, we know from their own data, their own SAPA report, sexual assault prevention report, <clears throat> that they provide to Congress every two years. Uh, there are about 50,000 women are sexually harassed every year in the military, yet only 1,000 of them report. So uh, it's a widespread problem. There's no faith the chain of command will do anything about it. And uh, women are left to suffer in silence. So what are the issues service members face when reporting sexual assault or harassment in the military? Well, there's two big issues. One is retaliation. We know that when men and women come forward, about 60% of them suffer retaliation after reporting. And the other is a lack of accountability when it comes to sexual harassment there's almost zero accountability for the 50 plus thousand women who are sexually harassed and when it comes to sexual assault we know there are over 20,000 sexual assaults in the military in a year and yet only about 100 people are actually convicted now 16 percent of all service members are latino what impact can the handling of guillen's case have on recruitment of this group in particular well, I think the I am Vanessa Guillen and Justice for Vanessa Guillen hashtags have shown this has had a dramatic impact on the Hispanic community, uh, that they have lost faith in the chain of command, that they're demanding justice, and there are a lot of calls for them to no longer enlist. And, and frankly, that would be a severe blow to the military of people. If, if people of color refuse to enlist in the military, it would, it would just dramatically impact their ability to do their mission. Now, moments ago, you were just mentioning this. Reports and formal complaints of misconduct in the military have increased since last year, according to a Pentagon report released in April. Is that a sign of progress in reporting? And what do you make of those findings? Well, you could say it's a sign of progress that more people are coming forward, because obviously you need to have people to come forward to address the problem. But the issue is that once people come forward, uh, they're not seeing justice. Uh, very few cases go to trial. Only about 5% of all the reports go to trial. And then the military loses about 70 to 80% of the sexual assault cases they bring to trial. And so uh, justice is illusionary for anybody that comes forward. In your opinion, what needs to change to end sexual abuse in the military? Well, the one constant in the 30 plus years of failure of the DOD to address this issue is their selfish uh, demand the commanders be in charge of the military justice system. They have shown year after year, uh, decade after decade, the commanders are not the answer to sexual assault. We need independent prosecutors, independent investigators to give confidence to victims that they'll see justice. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your point of view, retired Colonel Don Christensen of the organization Protect Our Defenders. Thank you. And welcome back. With less than 100 days until the election, presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden says he will choose his running mate next week. The former vice president made those comments during a news conference in Wilmington, Delaware. Biden has said he would choose a female running mate and has faced pressure from the Democratic Party to choose a woman of color. There was renewed speculation on Tuesday that Biden would choose California Senator Kamala Harris after he was photographed holding handwritten notes with her name at the very top, along with a set of talking points about her. 
And with the election fast taking center stage, word that the coronavirus pandemic will likely cause a shortage of older poll workers. The U.S. Election Assistance Commission says more than half of the nation's poll workers were 60 years old or older during the 2016 election. That age group is most at risk for coronavirus and will likely cancel their plans to work at polling locations. So election officials are looking to younger people for help. Nonpartisan groups like the Fair Election Center have a website called workelections.com, which provides information about working at the polls, hours, compensation and requirements in each locality. And Vice President Mike Pence is set to visit a school and a research lab in North Carolina today. That private school, Thales Academy, opened for in-person learning last week along with virtual learning. Afterward, Pence is set to head to NC Biotech where a research team is in clinical trials for a coronavirus vaccine. The center will be closed to staff and the public during Pence's visit. There are millions of tenants across the country at risk of eviction. Up until now, they had been protected from being kicked out of their homes thanks to the CARES Act eviction moratorium approved by Congress in March. But the 120-day period for that ban has now ended. Gianni Aponte tells us what could come next for so many. A federal moratorium protecting from eviction tenants who are behind in their rent payments ended last Friday. The job losses caused by the pandemic have prevented more than 40% of tenants nationwide from paying their rent on time, and now they face the threat of being evicted. Among the most affected are tenants in West Virginia, with 59% of renters have struggled to pay rent on time, followed by 58% of tenants in Tennessee and 51% in Florida. I spoke with the landlord and paid a portion. He asked me to pay the rest whenever I have the rest of the money. My income has dropped 60 percent from what it was before, and it is affecting a lot. This problem especially affects minorities. According to the Urban Institute, in the last months, 44 percent of Hispanic tenants and 43 percent of black tenants could not pay their rent or had to postpone it. Among white people, rent delinquency was 20 percent. My daughter, for example, paid $500 a month for three consecutive months, but in June had to pay everything, the 100% plus the difference. The people we spoke to agree that this economic crisis is unprecedented. This is a difficult situation, a situation we have never experienced before. There have been other crises related to natural disasters, but nothing this long. In the next few months, up to 23 million tenants could be evicted across the country. That's one in five renters, many more than the 10 million tenants who lost their homes to foreclosure in the 2008-2009 recession. Reported by Andrea Leon, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The world's second most populous country hitting a new coronavirus high today. India saying it has now crossed 
the 1.5 million mark for confirmed cases. According to the health ministry, the death toll surpasses 34,000. Meanwhile, as Latin America continues to see a sharp rise in cases, Bolivia reporting over 1,100 coronavirus cases and 73 deaths on Tuesday. That comes after the government announced a state of public calamity late Monday. The decision would allow leaders there to address the urgent economic needs caused by the pandemic. So far, there have been over 72,000 cases and 2,700 deaths across the country. And in Chile, after some four months of lockdown, locals are returning to the streets of Santiago and shops are reopening as the country seeks to reactivate its economy. But as measures ease up, new rules have been put in place, such as the use of face masks in shops, social distancing measures and temperature checks. Chile's unemployment rate hit 11.2 percent between March and May, and experts predict a drop in gross domestic product of around 7.5 percent by year's end. Chile has confirmed over 348,000 coronavirus cases and nearly 9,000 deaths. And Mexico has now registered more than 403,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus. As the country struggles amidst the pandemic, it seems no segment of the population is immune to the impacts of this outbreak. That includes the nation's infamous drug cartels. Carla Rivera has more on how they're joining the battle against COVID-19. We are the Jalisco cartel. Mencho is our lord. We come to deliver you a food donation to help you during this pandemic. We want to remind you that we support the people. Men with covered faces and bulletproof vests deliver care parcels to tens of thousands of people who receive them with applause and cheers. They are members of the Jalisco New Generation Cartel. However, they are not the only drug traffickers who have made donations during the pandemic. Los Salazares from the Sinaloa Cartel visited communities with rural roads and delivered bags marked with the initials AES. Alfredo Salazar, thank you very much. At this moment, we have a lot of need. We thank you from our heart. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lord. We were waiting for the food. In Michoacán, the Lord of the Virgin also sent our men to deliver food. And in Tecatitlán, the Jalisco cartel not only distributed packages, but made a professional video with drone images to share donations on social media. The same criminal gangs that have spread terror in Mexico for years deliver corporate cells to vulnerable populations in more than 10 states. These actions are not charity. The practice seeks to gain citizen support, to show strength to their enemies, and to dispute the territory. The Sinaloa cartel. Journalist Joan Grillo witnessed the supply delivery made by a cartel. I went to a village called Loma de la Concepcion in Mexico State, where a cartel, La Familia Michoacana, had been handing out charity bags, and they included uh, milk, rice, flour, soap, and these kind of goods. He explains that authorities have been largely powerless to stop Mexican cartels and that criminals are using the current situation to strengthen their social base. You know, things don't come for free. So that if afterwards the cartel wants to go and hide something in the village 
or wants to recruit people. It has a base of support. From Mexico City, Carla Rivera, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.